0: It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just
1: whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every
0: Monday night.
1: Monday, July 6th.
0: look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me,
1: Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! It's me, Austin! It was me all
0: along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azor. You can call this the new world
1: order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to the, would you say, season finale of 1996 here on Reliving the War, exclusive to the Grey Wolf Network. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by Simon Taklis. Simon, we have spent the previous six months since King of the Ring 1996 and now we are at the end of the year. We recently covered Starcade 1996. Now it is the WWF's time to wrap up the year. But in going back and watching this era of wrestling, I've had a lot of people, and we've when we've had guests on our WCW version, say that this has really inspired them to go back and re-watch, not just the pay-for-views, but even like those old-school RAWs and Nitros too. How's it been for
0: you? Yeah, I'm glad we've been able to inspire people to take this journey with us, and it's not just the two of us watching all this old <laughs> wrestling on our own, trying to tell people how good it is. Yeah, other people are jumping on board, I think they can tell how much we're genuinely enjoying it. We're, you know, criticizing where we have to, but some of these shows are surprisingly good. And I think on the WWF side is where I'm most surprised because, you know, growing up, I watched all these shows, but my memory is like the main events are good. You know, the Shawn Michaels matches are good. The big stuff is good, but overall, the 96 WWE shows have just been a lot of fun. Sometimes they're only two hours and sure, you got to sit through the smoking guns every month, but <laughs> they usually end up being like these weird, fun shows.
1: Meanwhile, while the, when the shoe's on the other foot, the WCW shows, which you remember being as like, these were so awesome. Like, well, how good was World War III? When we watch it back with our eyes now, it's just like, wow, this wasn't that good of a pay view But But then again, you have things like Fall Brawl that stand out that just like, whoa, that was all right. Whereas on the WWF side, it's been, the thing that saves a bad in your house is the runtime.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. At the very (laughs) least, you know, it's only two hours. Shorter than an episode of Raw is these days. So it's wild. (laughs) That's what is crazy. But we
1: are here to talk about WWF in your house 12. It's time. And you think from the slogan, we did joke about this on our previous episode, that It's Time would obviously be a themed pay-per-view around Vader. We saw with Buried Alive that that was centred around The Undertaker. Mind Games was very much a mankind one. Prior to us doing this series, we had In Your House, Beware of Dog, which was set around the British Bulldog. So you can really sort of see, it'd be safe bet to say, hey, It's Time. It's probably set
0: around Vader, right? vader is nowhere to be seen on this show and i've heard i I believe i've heard bruce pritchard dispute the fact that this was going to be centered around vader i feel like he's brushed it off as oh no we just called it it's time how you didn't Mm -hmm. it was obviously meant to be vader in some sort of featured match obviously the main event you'd you'd assume but it's wild sometimes the amount of mental backflips that and gymnastics
1: that he does on something to wrestle when he's getting it, <laughs> when he's trying to rebut what's is normally common sense is incredible, but let's get straight to the pay for you. It's WWF in your house. It's time. We've got the intro as we've been accustomed to the, the world wrestling federation for over 50 years, the leader in sports entertainment. And then we've got a cool little package to build to the main event, which I thought was really, really well done. And, that's another thing that we've noticed aside from maybe international incidents, the WWF, which didn't have anything, the WWF video packages have been absolute
0: A plus. Oh, absolutely. Comparing it to the last show we watched, which was Starcade, the granddaddy of them all, match of the decade, match of the century, WCW's flagship event. This is in your house. It's time. And it's got a better intro video. Um, It doesn't have the typical voiceover of Todd Pettingill or, that guy whose name we always forget, who's really epic. This one's voiced over by a Bret Hart promo, and it's really good. And I think we mentioned in the Survivor Series episode, Bret Hart cut a really good promo there. Bret was really good at a certain type of realistic interview, and he helped give this some like gravitas and like make you care about his main event match. Also in highlights packages, Sid looks like an absolute
1: powerhouse. They really do build up the Brett is the technical masterpiece. He's beaten everyone, whereas Sid is just raw power. Because when you look on paper, Brett versus Sid as a main event, you just think car wreck all over it. But they actually put enough salt and pepper on that steak to make you think this could be very, very good. And we start off with... Excited, Vince, as per usual, to welcome us to Florida. Welcome everyone to the Wild Wrestling Federation, and we get straight into our match, the opening match, which is Leaf Cassidy. In case you don't remember who Leaf Cassidy is, that is the now Al Snow. He was a member of the New Rockers with Marty Jannetty up against Flash Funk, aka Too Cold Scorpio. And I gotta say, Vince is just completely pumped not only at Flash Funk, but at the pyro of Flash Funk. He's yelling at the commentary table and he's telling everyone, you guys need to loosen up, (laughs) loosen up and dance. And it actually does a camera cut to Vince
0: at the table, standing up and dancing. This is two months in a row we've seen Vince McMahon dancing at the commentary desk and it's always fun. Vince dancing is great um, through history. Anytime he busts out the moves, it's, you know, gif and it's going to live on forever. This was, this was interesting in, on the intro. I've never really thought about this before. But, you know, we normally think of guys with weird gimmicks as sort of being punished or they're being misused. But look at how enthusiastic Vince McMahon is about Flash Funk. He thought this was a good idea. He thought it would work. Him giving Too Cold Scorpio this gimmick wasn't a bad thing. He didn't bring him in as just too cold Scorpio guy who can do a flip. He thought I'm going to give him pyro and girls dancing and a fun name. Like at the time, this was like a meant to be a big thing. And flash Funk could have been one of those, you know, characters we remember like, you know, Coco beware or like yeah. a bushwhacker or something. But obviously the time for that had passed by 96, but Vince McMahon, giving him this gimmick wasn't like a bad thing. Vince really would have thought this could work. Look at how much he loved it. I actually shocked.
1: I didn't actually, because I think with the passing of time, I thought to myself like, oh man, another one ruined by Vince. But they really put a lot of eggs in the Flash Funk 2 Cole Scorpio basket because he gets the huge intro. Like it takes forever. The crowd is singing along. He's got the funkettes. He's got Vince's blessing. And the only thing that, that kept distracting me was like how could he wrestle in that incredibly weird (laughs) outfit that he had on with the with the weird moon boot kind of thing too he looked like he's something like if you said to someone in 1970 hey what do you think someone from outer space would look like (laughs) that's what he's wearing but it starts the match starts off with what i thought was really weird but a chain wrestling uh sequence considering the fact that flash funk is known as such a high flyer to see him, and by no means is this a shot, but it's he can actually chain wrestle pretty well.
0: And putting him in with Al Snow was probably a good move. Yeah, Flash Funk or Too Cold Scorpio, he sort of goes under the radar. He had a run in WCW and ECW and even here as Flash Funk. He was a good wrestler, like a good all-round guy. And I think we've mentioned before, like in the Savio Vega era of matches that we watched a few months ago, these guys were considered sort of technical high flyers at the time, even though they're both, pretty big but yeah you sort of don't think that Al Snow is much of a high flyer and you don't think that Too Cold Scorpio is much of a technical wrestler but they get to do a lot of cool stuff together in this match like for its time this was pretty good and
1: considering the fact that Al Snow is basically a jobber he also gets a fair bit of offense in as well there's a belly to belly over the top rope that he does too followed by a plancher and then it all spills to the outside. It's actually quite action filled. He even gets to a sky high as well. So for a guy that's essentially a jobber, and as the the the, the rib always goes, so like you are the Marty Jannetty in a tag team with Marty Jannetty. <laughs> it, it's actually a very competitive, a very competitive match. And it, as much as I'd love to pay
0: it out and say, "Oh, Al well, Snow's useless." Him and Flash Funk have a solid opener. Yeah. And you mentioned that spot. I made note of that too. The belly to belly and then the flip over the ropes, the crowd really got into that. I think they were really impressed. Um, Flash Funk did a, like he got his own similar sequence too. He did a cartwheel kick, then a massive dive over the ropes. The camera kind of missed it, but it was still pretty awesome. And again, this crowd at this time, whatever city they were in, I'm guessing they don't normally see wrestling like this. So It was a fun opener. And if you listen to some of JR's podcasts and, and Bruce Pritchard too, like JR was a massive fan of Al Snow at the time. Like he thought he was going to be, you know, a big thing. And you see from his in-ring work, Al Snow could go. And, you know, was, Mm. again, we say it a lot, but, you know, ahead of his time and sort of wrestling that more modern style. And also just a note on JR and his commentary. I'm not trying to say anything about JR. I don't think he's like this. I think it's just an old mentality, but every african-american wrestler aside from like mabel or mark henry jr will always say they've got such a great vertical leap and i get Mm. it white man can't jump and Mm. obviously the opposite is true in jr's mind but like (laughs) it's such a weird trait it's shelton benjamin kofi kingston too cold scorpio oh it's got a great vertical leap yeah okay i get it all right we get it
1: yeah and 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 the fact that it comes from his southern accent yeah. as well also makes it a little bit more uncomfortable uh so it look it flash funk finishes the match with a 450 to win it was there's actually a really cool pinning combo sequence as well that wouldn't be seen out of place from like you know 2005 tna or even uh 2016 wwe but it's a really really good match and yes we are saying Al Snow and Two Cold Scorpio had a barn burn. We're not telling you it's match of the year, but it's a really good way to open up. And what, followed up by that, there's an ad for the Royal Rumble, which is the next pay-per-view, but it's actually for the home video
0: release in March. Did you find that strange? I was wondering that too. So were we maybe not watching a pay-per-view version of the event? they might have uploaded the home video version to the network. That was the only the sort of logic. video version, maybe. Yeah. yeah, because we're watching it not as it was live, but as it would have been released on video a couple of months later. So the home release for the Royal Rumble makes sense, but it was just weird. <laughs> yeah. Like normally I, I we mean- don't get that. I, yeah, and, and, and also because every
1: other little intro we've seen, like, you know, when they did the tease for SummerSlam with the Olympics, yeah. that was for the next pay for you. Like, but this was just like, oh, yeah, get the home video. It just seemed really strange. It was something that, an oddity maybe, but yeah, I never thought that it could be the Coliseum video release. So. Also,
0: JR said join over 30 superstars for the Royal Rumble. I was like, there weren't more than 30 people in 30- the 97 <laughs> Rumble. <laughs> Exactly, and we're going to do a deep dive of
1: the 1997 Rumble as well because it's a very unique one. It's probably one of the only times you'll ever see non-WWF contracted wrestlers in the WWF, but uh, our next match is then Owen Hart and the British Bulldog taking on fake uh, fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon, and the funny thing too is JR, JR trying to, to... He obviously knows why the fans don't like... Razor Ramon and fake Diesel here but in his cave mind like I don't know why do they don't like these guys they're younger they're fresher they're all of this stuff but uh, yeah it's so odd but there's also a Kevin Kelly pre-match with Owen and Bulldog and they also tease a bit of a stone cold program because they show a clip from superstars earlier that day well earlier that day so to speak
0: yeah and, and I made note of this because I didn't realize that obviously we saw austin and brett wrestle at survivor series but i didn't realize the plants like the seeds were planted for the um heart foundation reunion so early like austin Mm. feuding with bulldog sort of continues that i really didn't realize they were doing that in december you know yeah it always seemed to me like
1: in retrospect i always thought I was always under the impression or at least the way I remembered it was that one day Brett comes out on raw and says, the family's divided. We need to come together, but you don't, you don't think that there is a seed yeah. uh, leading up to it. As you said, in December, you just sort of think, Oh yeah, roughly about September in 97, Brett comes out and goes, no, come on, unify. Yeah. So it, it is interesting to see when you, when we watch it back now, the, the, another interesting one too is, in terms of, I know the crowd is very much like we we don't buy what you're, what you're selling here, WWF. But I was actually really impressed at how well the new Diesel has the quickness and the agility. Especially since we just recently watched an Outsiders
0: match. But you forget that Glenn Jacobs, now Kane, can go. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's kind of funny that people like crap on Isaac Yankum and fake Diesel but Kane, like, from the second Kane showed showed up, everyone was like, oh, my God, he's so athletic and what a great wrestler. No one was paying attention to these matches, but you see it here. Like, Glenn Jacobs was great, especially in his physical peak here. Like, what a beast. He was fast, strong, looked awesome, but just the wrong gimmick. And, like, Paul, what's his name? Rick Bogner? Rick Bogner, yeah. He just like him being razor but having no hair on his chest and being a bit flabby (laughs) it's like really although i gotta say he impressed me too at one point i thought he was gonna hit the fall away slam of course you know Razor's one of his signature moves but he does it as a pump handle fall away slam i've only ever seen goldberg do that i didn't realize anyone else did it so okay rick bogner you did that that was kind of cool
1: I've actually got written in my notes, Diesel with the quickness and agility that Nash would only dream of. <laughs> <laughs> um, another weird bit in this match was you had a couple of uh, AAA wrestlers walk out, which, see, which plants the seed for their appearance in the Royal Rumble. Hmm. First off, I can't remember what their names was. I've just got AAA wrestlers walk out and JR and the commentary team did give them their dues and explain who they were, but I just couldn't get my head around it. And it was a very strange run in, run in if you want to call it that because they
0: literally walk out one of them takes your shirt off and then they just walk back yeah and that was it and that's it, was it like what was that i think they were going sort of for the like realistic they did it they were like oh they're invading you know sort of like they when they did that weird ecw uh thing yeah a few months ago too. yeah it's like wwe was you know playing around with the shoot stuff but they didn't commit to it till you know the attitude era kicked off i've got written down here too: rick bogner and bulldog Razor's just trying to do his best here
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I I think I think you're right too there's a lot more hate delivered towards Rick Bogner than there is towards Glenn Jacobs as fake diesel because because at least with with the fake diesel you can go well this one's a more athletic diesel he's more he's speedier he's a bit more powerful he's got the same power of Kevin Nash so there are things that can and, well, he's a bit better, he's a better version of Diesel. Whereas Scott Hall just outclasses Rick Bogner in every, every department, every department. There is nothing that Rick Bogner does better. And because Scott Hall's got that natural sort of hey yo Chico look, when Rick Bogner tries to do
0: it, it just looks so bad. It but really like- looks like cosplay. Like, I know that's it's the tough. generic thing, but it looks like a guy dressed up as him for, for Halloween. And the funny thing is, too, you're not that far off the truth because it literally is. Mm. Uh, So (laughs) Great ending sequence, though. I will say the, like, last one minute of this match, especially the actual ending, was Mm. very, very cool. Yeah. Um, Um, Did did you want to quickly touch on uh, Austin's
1: massive little bit of interference? Because the crowd just is insane for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he just does a run-in. He's got the look down pat- the blue jeans and just the vest and he comes out and he the crowd goes ballistic for him
0: yeah and he attacks bulldog like it, it again it's like was that something they were going to go for but no it was just part of the bigger plan because at all of the big pay-per-views he's essentially feuding with the heart foundation all the way to the end of 97 pretty much um this was cool i don't remember it like i don't remember i'm pretty sure i've never seen this pay-per-view in my life until i watched mm. it so i didn't realize this was like a missing part of the austin Hart story i've
1: got written down here austin looks like a badass uh and there's there's another um there's another bit that i've written down where it's bulldog versus austin on the outside so as you said continues that little feud but yeah let's get back to the finish oh i do want to quickly mention there is a diesel sucks chant and jr is absolutely losing his mind because <laughs> he's like why are they chanting diesel sucks this is a better diesel but uh, there is a fantastic finishing sequence here so razor puts bulldog in the Razor's edge and then
0: owen takes him out yeah which is so cool because bulldog has his head in between razor's legs like he's about to be power bombed Owen runs and spin kicks Razor which leads to him tipping over and Bulldog rolling over into a jackknife cover and I just thought man those guys were so good Bulldog and Owen were awesome like what a great ending I even wrote down here it's great
1: wrestling but it's ruined by watching Aldi versions of Diesel and Razor. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's so strange. Yeah, and- we've got Razor Ramon at home, but it's not the real one. It's you know? not the real one. Stone Cold has a bit of a post-match beatdown attacking Bulldog as well. The way that Bulldog sells it, it's it's almost like Austin removed one of his organs. Like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Stomped a it's mud so- hole in him. Yeah, and uh, it just goes to show that Austin austin doesn't wrestle on this card as well we should point out that austin is not in any matches but he's still such a focal point i think you can see the winds of change where people are like hang on a second maybe we're onto this stone cold (laughs) dude which is kind of cool then we get the nation of domination on aol like that little spot and i forget the crush that's right that crush uh, formerly of Demolition, the Surfer Dude Crush is now in the Nation of Domination and
0: they're all on AOL and it just looks so out of place. Yeah, Hawaiian Crush in the Nation of Domination, like that was their big reasoning why he could fit into the group. They're like he's Hawaiian. <laughs> well, not really. Like, no, like, nah, not, know, real. not really. <laughs> he, he, and he, he had like spent- a weird thing on his head at this time, like between Hawaiian Crush and after, like, yeah, whatever it is, this era, like he had like a painting on his head. I never knew what was going on there. So strange. But uh, we then cross over to
1: Vince McMahon in the ring with an Ahmed Johnson interview. And it's one of the most bizarre interviews you will ever see because Ahmed's talking about how he's lost everything. I've lost my girlfriend. I lost my house. I lost my title. I lost this. But I kept the fans. (laughs) It's
0: it's so interesting. The promo was weird. I had to know too. Yeah, he said he lost his car and girlfriend, but all from being injured. Like he was injured and his girlfriend must have been a real piece of work if she was like, well, I'm out of here. See you later. It's like, oh, I think think not uh, Ahmed. This (laughs) is no good. But so
1: far, just when you think that Ahmed's promo can't get any worse, it's so incoherent. It's just rabble at this point in time. Then Farouk responds. And this is that awkward bit where I pointed out last in the last paper we watched, where the nation perform their own theme on the way to the ring, except they're not in the ring. They're in one of the stands. And Farouk is peak like Malcolm X imitation nation of domination here. It's and his promo isn't much better.
0: Well, Farouk's mic gets cut off for a little bit too. So we got some production issues, but even when you can hear him. Between him and Ahmed, like, I only got about 10 words out of this promo. Like, everyone yeah. gives shit to Ahmed for being hard to understand. When Farouk's fired up, it's not very easy either.
1: You probably wonder that's why he's limited to just the word damn in all of his uh, appearances now. But, yeah, look, obviously this is leading into the feud that's going to set the world on fire, Ahmed Johnson versus the Nation of Domination.
0: Hey, the Which crowd's was- into it. They get into <laughs> it. I will say, one the one thing I forgot about Ahmed, though um we used to imitate it his kids always always his chant at the end of his promos of you're going down you're going yeah. down the second he started it the whole crowd did it so we got to give him yeah. some due there correct uh that leads us next
1: to a video package for triple h versus mark Merrow. this one was actually pretty interesting because mark Merrow, we've talked about how much he had the rocket strapped him He didn't realize how much of a jabron that um triple h
0: was back in the day yeah, like he really didn't have a lot going on. And I know there's the rumors, oh, he was held down because of the curtain call and whatever else. Um, Triple H was at a weird part of his career. Like he he sticks it out. I think 97, everything turns around for him though. And also this promo set to like an Enya sounding soundtrack. Like they made it feel very fancy and big. Hmm. Also Todd in the uh, voiceover, Todd Pettingill's doing it. He refers to him as Triple H. I think that's the first time we've heard someone call him Triple H on camera. Yeah, because it's always
1: been Hunter Hearst, Hearst Helmsley or Helmsley mm. or, or Hunter. Helmsley is one that Triple H, not, not Triple H, sorry, the JR still sticks to to this day, which I always thought was really, really cool the way that he always referred to his Helmsley. But uh, look, Mark Merrow gets, I'm talking about, ultimate warrior level styles of pyro which when you think about it considering the fact that warrior was probably meant to like plan to be a big part of 1996 they probably had a lot of pyro left (laughs) over. it's just like "Mm, do we give it to the wild
0: man i guess (laughs) anything we can give him um i got to say one one thing i didn't notice like obviously i never paid much attention to this feud growing up but this was a really long-running feud it technically started at wrestlemania 12 where Mero debuts backstage and Triple H is angry in a promo and like Sable was Triple H's valet. And then she, you know, aligns with her real husband, Mark Mero. This feud went from April to December for the Intercontinental title in the end. I know. It is just absolute
1: bonkers. And the funniest thing too is, well, the one thing that I did love, so the little nameplate that pops up uh, at the start of the match had Mark Merrow as just the wild man in all capitals, which was uh, pretty amusing. But uh, you've got to say that Mark Merrow is the absolute star. He's presented as such. Triple H is just jobber extraordinaire. He was so far off from the cerebral assassin that it, it's you'd be forgiven to think that this guy's going to be released and set into the wild in a couple of years. Because if look at the way that Triple H is presented. Look at the way that Mark Merrow is presented. I guarantee you no one would have thought that Triple H would be there two years later and that Mark Merrow would be the biggest star in wrestling.
0: Yeah, Triple H sticks it out with his good wrestling though. Like that was always the thing he had despite, you know, questionable booking for this brief period or his dodgy character and his bad accent. In the ring, Triple H could go and, and we've seen him have a lot of solid matches. He gets a good one out of Mark Merrow here as well. And like really, even saying that, Mark Merrow has held his own in pretty much every match we've seen. This was another good Mark Merrow match. That's about all we ever see from him. It's never (laughs) amazing. It's definitely never bad. It's always good. Like, oh, it's a good match. Maybe not not Intercontinental Championship caliber, but it's good. Mark Merrow is essentially the Lex Luger of the
1: Intercontinental title division. Oh, he's...
0: Not as over as Lex Luger, though.
1: Yeah, that's true. Lex was insanely over during 94. I think
0: he's he's the Jeff Jarrett of the WWE at the time. If we had 96 WCW Jeff Jarrett and WWF Mark Merrow, it'd be the best, like, okay two and a half star match you've ever yeah. seen. It'd be the clash of the somethings. That's what it'd be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh,
1: so Goldust does come out. There's a bit of shenanigans with a ref bump. Goldust comes out for the interference and takes out both Mero and Triple H. And what's weird is Mero gets the win via countout. So Triple H still gets the title. Um, and then Mero does, drags Triple H back in the ring, does a shooting star press to him or, or the wild thing, and that's it. And then it's
0: sort of like, righto, see you guys. So he, strange. He's also meant to be so out of it that after doing the wild thing, he tries pinning him, but it just makes mm. him look like an idiot. Like, I, yeah. I, I know what they were going for, but it's like, hold on. Yeah. It,
1: the it, it's, is it's over. It's such a strange match, but yeah, um, a, a win by countout, and that leads us to our next match. But before we do that, we get a Psycho Sid promo and a recap of an appearance that he had earlier that day at like a Florida water park or something, I think it was. I forgot about these WWE pre-tapes that they do like, for example, the time when we had the Godwins go on a tour around, like, the metro system mm. in, in, in wherever city they were at the time. But so the premise behind this is Psycho Sid has done an appearance at a water park and was attacked by Shawn
0: Mike, Or was it Shawn Michaels that attacked him? I think Shawn attacks him. He's trying to get revenge for the Survivor Series. Yeah, so Shawn attacks him.
1: But then somehow Bret Hart gets involved by trying to like get rid of Sean. And then in the best line ever, it's like, oh, and you and then Brett made a big mistake by turning his back on psycho Sid. Cause then Sid
0: out of nowhere, just attacks him from behind at the water yeah. park. I, I, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I thought this was just outside the arena. I didn't realize they were at a water park and that makes <laughs> yes. it better. Now I want to watch it again. Like Brett was just there with his kids and he's like, hey, hold on, kids. There's Sean. <laughs> and he just runs over to fight them. Oh, bloody it's- dad, come on. <laughs> it's like such a weird little... Because uh,
1: essentially... And the best part is, too, like, you see all the Stooges, like Patterson... Uh, jerry Briscoe, they're all there like trying to break this up and they're all wearing those like old school 1994 suits you know the the weird t- where everyone sort of went in shades of cream and all
0: of that sort of just color dark gray everyone's in a dark gray dreary <laughs> jacket
1: it's <laughs> but weird was- those
0: agents looked so old they were probably just in their like 40s or something but they looked just like yeah men from another time Which is so strange because like, so what's, and we're we're veering off just a little bit here, but I feel
1: like now's a good time to bring this up. When you see agents back then, like Jerry Briscoe and Pat Patterson and, you know, uh, Michael Pierce Hayes and stuff like that, they look incredibly old, but you're right. They're probably like, you know, 39, 40. Mm -hmm. Whereas now when you see agents like, for example, uh, Adam Pierce or... Jamie Hurricane. Noble. Yeah, yeah Jamie Noble. They're well into like their
0: 40s, hmm. yet they look as good as they did in their 20s, which is yeah. so, it's such an odd little thing. Uh, speaking of odd little things, Sid was wearing his tiny backwards hat again in this promo. He's got, he had the white little hat at the back of his head. I need like an action figure of promo Sid from 96 with the little hat just attached to his head. It's so good it's almost it's to the level of when tony storm used to wear that little top hat that's how ridiculous it looks that's how ridiculous it looks she stole the idea from sid he was the original (laughs) Tony hat wrestler but i'm still not over 96 sid like the just the reaction and the energy from this promo 96 sid is like 96 lex luger don't Mm. really know why but it was awesome you had to be there i guess yeah, you certainly had to live through it. That's
1: all I can say. Uh, we get next. Our next match is the Undertaker taking on the Executioner. The Executioner is accompanied by Paul Berry. Now, this is an Armageddon rules match. I don't quite know what the uh, what the rules of an Armageddon rules match, but uh, what I find very interesting is that, as you mentioned, Simon, last time we saw the Undertaker, he was in his new outfit, all leather. This time round, I think he's learnt his lesson. <laughs>
0: Yeah, back to some breathable spandex or whatever. Yeah, he was like, I'm not doing the leather thing again. So we get like the version of The Undertaker we'd see for a few years here. Um, From what I could figure out, this match was basically a last man standing match, but to initiate the 10 count, you have to pin them for three first. So you've got to pin them and then they get counted for 10 seconds. I feel like I've seen some like NWA or like Southern wrestling versions of this. But then WWE simplified it. They're like, "Hey, what if we just count to 10, You know? Yeah. Well, it might be due to the fact that you know the guy, one of the guys, uh, like the executioner,
1: is, Ted, is Terry Gordy, Hall mm. of Famer Terry Gordy. He would have thought that uh, the executioner would be in the WWF Hall of Fame at some point in time. But uh, like he was, of course, uh, part of the Fabulous Freebirds back in the day. So it, maybe, maybe that's where, where they're just like, "Hey, how about we give you an NWA style match?" That way, you'll feel a bit more comfortable
0: here. Yeah, we'll go old school. Um, Look, I did some research because I I knew he had some sort of injury or some troubles to explain why he was so awkward as the executioner. It's kind of messed up. In 93, so only three years before this, he OD'd and he was in a coma, which led to him having brain damage when he came out of it. And like people who knew him said he was basically never the same after that. This run was basically done as a favor to him to try and give him you know one last payday from his friends um, it, it's just so awkward and then knowing that I'm watching it, you're just like man, you shouldn't obviously not be in a ring doing this while that was happening and, and he had to really be led through things and yeah it's not, honestly this might be one of the Undertaker's worst matches and that's saying a yeah. lot in 2021 um, yeah <laughs> yeah n- not recommended this match at all.
1: No, it's a bit slow and plodding, and Mankind does a run-in, and I'm sure that he misjudges it because he sort of trips over the mat as he does the run-in. He does, like, this, the Scott Steiner botch to test from an episode of uh, <laughs> Raw Run in at 2000. leg? Yeah, yeah, which essentially <laughs> happens, but... Um, there's another weird one, too, because obviously it is a no-DQ no Armageddon match. So it turns into a two-on-one two on match for a while until a bunch of security guards run out and put Mankind in a straitjacket.
0: Yeah. Which it's is so odd. Very weird, the whole straitjacket thing. Um, they, he's, they fight to the outside of the building as well. They go to the outside and there was one awesome shot, though. I will say the best bit. After the straitjacket and when they cut to the outside, they just cut and I'm sure they didn't want it to be funny, but Executioner is just rolling down a ramp into the <laughs> river. They're like, let's see what's happening outside and just needed like Benny Hill music playing over that. It's just yeah, weird. Because essentially he gets completely dunked.
1: And uh, look, and that's probably the only saving grace of this match, the fact that it's it's... Uh, quote-unquote cinematic match, which this looks to be Taker's wheelhouse at the moment because he's just uh, fighting outside. The funny thing too is it is so bizarre because Taker finishes it off with a pile driver, but th- the tombstone that he does, Terry Gordy is still soaking wet, so he's dripping <laughs> everywhere on the Water
0: campus. like pours out of his boots. <laughs> that was an amazing visual. I, that should be in more compilations of Tombstone because when he tipped him upside down, it was just... <laughs> poured it out it's so weird. like literally so i want everyone out there to go
1: out go out and find a sponge hold it dunk it into a sink of water pick it up and squeeze it in front of you we're gonna do a tombstone because that is the visual of what happened it's a very funny one taker then gets the, the three count then he also gets the 10 count <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just wrapped it up what's funny there isn't a single attempted pin or 10 count prior to this he just hits one tombstone and they're like, we're just wrapping this up and we're never mentioning the executioner again.
1: It's basically it. It is consigned to history. I'd say watch it just for the, uh, cause it's not that long of a match. No. It, it goes for about 10 minutes or so. And it's just, you're sitting there watching going, right. Maybe this is why WCW was beating them with the rating yeah. so much. Um, kudos to Taker though for sticking it out because, uh, if you were given some of the, the garbage that he was during the um, the early Attitude Era, you'd go, mm, he's doing some good stuff over at WCW. But anyway, we then get to a Bret Hart pre-tape promo where he is losing his mind, but he absolutely cracks it because HBK's music starts playing as he's talking. It's almost like he's been rickrolled
0: it's amazing nothing is better than like um fired up angry breath not angry like i want to kill my opponent but just like outraged and morally outraged and nothing yeah, pisses yeah. him off more than sean michaels and hearing that music <laughs> he's just like oh hey man i'm talking and yeah he just loses it No, literally that's paraphrase essentially what he says because hvk's
1: music kicks in he's like hey i'm talking turn off that damn music it's just like oh my god that's why you got it i actually wrote down was that a rib someone had to have been ribbing him
0: well again though it might not it might have been part of the plan because again we all think oh the double turn it happened at wrestlemania on the spot they were planting the seeds for brett at the very least changing his attitude like this isn't the same morally upstanding brett Who is cool and calm? Like, this is an angry old man at this point. Mm.
1: Yeah, very much so. Like, this is a long way from the 1994 Brett that was running, like, essentially running the WWF at the time. But Brett Mm. versus Sid, HBK enters first, then we get Brett. Now, Sid actually gets his own pyro. And when I say Sid gets his own pyro, it is Sid spelt out in fire in like pyro sort of sparkler sort of stuff just s-i-d which is kind of cool and all i could say is hbk seems really really salty on the commentary doesn't he
0: he is peak angry Shawn michaels which is a totally different thing like because he just starts doing like insider terms i think the click don't get enough credit sometimes for sort of you know, doing that first before CM Punk and before guys like that. He mm. even refers to Sid as the WWF's most expensive piece of luggage because we have to carry him here and carry him there. Like, that's, that's about right. of an insider term, as you know, you're going to get. But yeah, Sean's great here, but he's obviously starting to turn too. Like, we're seeing that here, the DX yeah. Sean that we'd see soon.
1: Yeah, very much so. Now, um, HBK, as I say, is really salty on commentary. Sid is just raw power here. He powers out of a sharpshooter as well. And we also have a little bit more intervention from Stone Cold Steve Austin, which I found amusing because it's just like, so throughout the two hours, what was he doing? Like just roaming the building, waiting for the heart. Like it's almost like he's walked past a monitor, seen that there's anyone from the Heart Foundation that got,
0: oh, not on my watch and ran out (laughs) to interfere. Which really is what we'd end up seeing for a few months after this. Just any time the hearts were anywhere, he'd jump them in ambulances, backstage, in the bathroom. And and this is where go it right started. Go around to Pillman's house. Yeah, go around <laughs> to Pillman's house. Yeah, this is where it starts, where Austin is just laser focused. And we'd see that throughout his career onwards. If he is feuding with you, Austin is going to get you anywhere at any time, whether he's in a match, whether he's booked on the show or not. And it's a cool character trait. And this is where we see the start of it. It's so
1: cool. Austin uh, has a little bit of interference here, but it's nothing to detract from the match because Bulldog and Owen come out for a receipt from uh, early before. As I said, Sid has got some epic power moves. He sort of, um, and Brett, while a lot of people like to say how Brett and Sean are, you know, quote-unquote small guys, they're still pretty buff hmm. and pretty big. Like, it's it's in no way like Sean's throwing him around like he's Rey Mysterio, but he is towering over him and overpowering uh, Brett here. The action does spill to the outside, and HBK gets involved here after Sid pushes him and does the old push, you know, like palm on the face and push back sort of thing. Like a which- basketball. Yeah, he, he and his hand actually encompasses all of Shawn Michaels' face as he yanks him backwards, and he actually yanks him back with a bit of force. So I think Shawn's general, like, legitimately annoyed here.
0: Yeah, it, that was good. Like, they set up some interference at the end, but it was good. I think having Shawn on commentary helped this match. I really think, in terms of just in ring, this isn't as good as Shawn Michaels and Sid from Survivor Series. It's, it's good, it's fine, it's okay, but I think, yeah, Sean being on commentary and Austin running out, like they had to dress this one up a bit, but it ends up being entertaining. Yeah, uh, a decent match. There's a bit of shenanigans, but shenanigans
1: that make sense at the end. HBK gets up on the apron and Brett goes, uh, like, gets thrown into him and then goes into a powerbomb for the win. Uh, sorry, goes into Sid, who then powerbombs him for the win. Sid celebrates as you said he does he sort of like he looks like a man that is just loving life right now the way that he he has the title he's so pleased he's
0: actively not high-fiving but punching high-fives which is so he did the fist bump first he wouldn't (laughs) high-five people like I think we've seen some people awkwardly palm his hand it's like come on man just fist bump him you should get it by now but it's weird that he was a heel but he would always do this he loved the crowd yeah and the crowd and it's funny you
1: mentioned that because like he does like people go up to high five him and he gives him no he's like no i'm fist bumping you mm. and if you don't like the fist bump i'm gonna punch your i'm
0: gonna punch, <laughs> punch your, your hand, your hand
1: which, which is what he does now after this uh brett and sean get into a bit of a uh, altercation and the thing i love is brett I'm guessing because he's Canadian,
0: does the sort of hockey thing where he pulls the shirt over the head and starts punching. <laughs> I wrote that too. I said, Brett hockey fights Sean. That's that's the only name for that. that. When Brett does it, Brett is great at brawling. It looks so real. It looks like he was really hockey fighting Sean Michaels and Sean was genuinely annoyed that he got his shirt pulled over his head. Like, it was really good. Like, Brett was obviously messing with him. It felt like it. You could feel the tension. But again, how was Brett not already the bad guy at this point? Like, what an annoying prick he was to do this as a character. Yeah, because Sean Sean is just retaliating
1: to something that happened to him from Sid. Yeah. And it's so funny to see um, just Brett... Because he, like... These are legit, like, shots to the <laughs> gut. And Sean can't do anything because he he's... Yeah, helpless Sean Michaels. Pretty
0: funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, it's a really, really odd one, but uh, it, it wraps up the pay for you, which which I thought was actually quite good. There's nothing in there aside from the Undertaker versus Executioner match, which is bad. And even then it's short and sweet and it has enough things going on it like Mankind's Interference and the weirdness of Terry Gordy in the pool Mm. Um, that sort of make it all good. But what did you think about this
0: pay-per-view? I thought it was inoffensive. It was a bit of fun. Like it went by really quick, obviously, because of its runtime. Flash Funk and Leaf Cassidy was a nice uh, surprise. Owen and Bulldog versus the Fake Outsiders wasn't too bad. Merrow mm. and Hunter is okay. Sid and Brett's pretty good, especially for all the main event stuff they were sitting up setting up. But yeah, Undertaker and Execution, not great and worth it for the two memes we've found in it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Very
1: much so. But look, as we put a bow on 1996 and 1997, let's look back at uh, those pay-per-views now for the WWF side what did you think out of the run that we've covered so from King of the Ring, International Incident, SummerSlam, Mind Games, Buried Alive, Survivor Series and It's Time which what's the one that sort of stood out to you is like okay this is the out of all the ones that we've watched this one stands
0: out as the best. Survivor Series was pretty good especially those two main events um, Austin and Brett, Sean and Sid are both excellent. I feel like SummerSlam was a similar situation too, though, because you had the, uh, the um, Boiler Room Brawl and Vader mm-hmm. and Shawn, which I really liked. But then again, King of the Ring was really good because you yeah. had Austin's King of the Ring matches, which were all pretty good. You had uh, Taker and Mankind for the first time, which was really first good. First time, man. And then you had Shawn and Bulldog. I reckon King of the Ring 96 might be WWE's best pay-per-view that we've watched in this run. <laughs> an odd one about King
1: of the Ring 1996 Ultimate Warrior also has his only appearance oh, yeah. super over like, though like you, big deal on that show and it's so weird that when you, when we when we go look at it, as as I said I've I'm going to put um, Survivor Series 1996 as the best one that we've seen out of the 1996 the only thing there that that was really actually and it sounds weird but because I'm nowhere in hell recommending the uh, like the the any of the Survivor Series matches. They're all crap, uh, <laughs> like the Jake Roberts like none of them. But you see the Rock it. debut. That's almost yep. worth it for that one. Yeah, it's purely because Psycho Sid and Shawn Michaels is a fantastic match. Brett and Shawn are worth the price of admission, and Undertaker versus Mankind with. Uh, Paul Bearer in the shark cage is awesome. (laughs) And you get to see The Rock's debut. So all that stuff sort of made that good for me. But like, it's so weird that when we started, uh, you look at King of the Ring 96 and you've got guys like, Austin's almost an afterthought. Brett's not even a part of that show. Whereas towards the end of the year, this is the only pay-per-view that Shawn Michaels doesn't wrestle on uh, when he's really been carrying all Mm. of WWF for the past six months. And uh, we sort of see the rise of Austin, it's almost like now they've they've gone, oh yeah, we did make the right decision and put King of the Ring on him.
0: Yeah, I think Austin, by the end of the year, it feels like after King of the Ring, they're not really sure, but the Survivor Series match with Brett is the turning point for Austin and that's it. There's no looking back now. Austin through 97, basically, obviously steals the show. I can't wait to get into 97. I think the two sort of underrated years, for whatever reason, of the Attitude Era for WWE... 97 and 2000 Mm. are better than 98 and 99, I think, to me anyway. So it'll be interesting to watch it all back, see how it holds up again. 2000 for me is still the absolute
1: peak. And I I think it's also because... It's the, it's the sort of era that I was in. That's the first sort of year I was on the internet as a fan, <laughs> yeah. you know, at, on forums and checking out uh, and having those discussions. I remember, uh, I don't know if, if you can remember this, but do you remember there was rumors that The Rock might go to WCW back in the day? No, I don't remember that. Oh man, like it was just such a cool time <laughs> yeah. because uh, you had the radicals, but you know, that's something that we will get to eventually down the road. In a few in, years. Uh, Yeah, in a couple of years' time for reliving the war. But uh, next up, we have got two bumper pay-per-views, two iconic pay-per-views, because we're going to cover Sold Out 1997, which is the first NWO, first and only NWO
0: pay-per-view. I am dreading watching that. I'm really annoyed that we have to watch that show back in full, but I'll do my best. (laughs) I remember hating it when I watched it a few years ago. I just remember uh, thinking this was pretty cool. I actually remember when I
1: first watched it because I watched it on VHS. Uh, I actually got that tape traded. That's how wow. old that was. Uh, a Someone on the forums of WWF.com, uh, WWFDownUnder.com, I put my $20 into an envelope, sent it to some dude in Burwood or wherever, and he sent me back a couple of VHS tapes. And I remember watching it and at first thinking that he sent me a dud copy because <laughs> at first it's all in black and white. And I'm like, what is going on here? So, and they're all on garbage trucks. I'm like, what? This makes zero sense. But yeah, it's something, it's a sight to be behold. We'll cover that. And we've also got a massive reliving the war first, a watch along of the 1997 Royal Rumble from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. It is going to be fantastic. We'll do that. Look for that coming up on your feed. We'll re-enlist Owen and our buddy Neil for that one as well. But yeah, it's been 96 Great year for WCW and for WWF.
0: Yeah, if we, let's let's give some quick year-end awards. So pay-per-view of the year for WWE, you're going Survivor Series. at Survivor gone Series. SummerSlam. For WCW, I'd probably go maybe Fall Brawl. Yep, I was just about to say the that same thing. That was the one that stood out the most. I think that was very good. It felt like a good show. Honorable mention, I reckon, would have to go to Halloween Havoc, uh, Hogan versus
1: Macho Man, because. That, that that was a rather epic sort of. Uh,
0: it was the only time where Hogan had someone on his level to challenge him. In terms of a big star, yeah, yeah. And yeah, we also yeah. had the Outsiders versus Halloween uh, Harlem Heat, one of my favorite Harlem matches. Heat. Yeah, which was a really cool one too. And yeah, aside from that, I look
1: all of the WCW have had for years. Uh, they've been good. World mm. War Three was. A abysmal but they all had enough in them as we've said constantly to leave you wanting more but okay who are you going to go for MVP of WCW in 1996
0: it's a tough one I think in ring maybe he didn't have the best match every show but I think Dean Malenko just the consistency of how good his matches are how over he was because it's not that thing where he's good in the ring but you know the crowd doesn't react like the crowd was into all of his matches Dean Malenko might be one of the MVPs. I'll just say, Tim, on pay-per-view, you couldn't go wrong with the Dean Malenko match in 96. I was going to say, I was actually going to suggest what, um, Ric Flair, but Ric Flair wasn't
1: throughout all the paper. Like he got injured. Mm. Um, I was then going to say Diamond Dallas Page, but at the start of the run, so at Bash of the Beach and Hop Wild, no one could give two hoots. The DDP was wrestling, so mm. he goes out there. I was going to say Hollywood Hogan, but he just shows up and basically has the main event and that's it. And all of these matches aren't really that good to be quite honest, but they're like, they're there for the spectacle. But when you mention Dean Malenko, you basically hit the nail on the head because you got to remember at bash at the beach, he got a good match at a disco Inferno. Mm. Like disco Inferno had a really good match with Dean Malenko. And you're right. Every
0: pay-per-view that Malenko is on,
1: he's had a fantastic match.
0: Yeah, I think he's the man for WCW. I think for the WWE, it's got to be Shawn Michaels in 96 in terms yeah, no of the question. pay-per-views. Like, it's unbelievable. He, even when Shawn's not wrestling in its time, he's still
1: a focal point and a big... Like, he moves the story along.
0: Yeah, I think Sean was the man in 96. In terms of athleticism and the just bigness of his matches, he was the best main event wrestler in this era. And it wasn't even close because he changed what a main event, you know, would look like for years to come. And in his peak 96, variety of matches, like in the, the pay-per-views we didn't cover, the Iron Man match, the straight fight with Kevin Nash, the first match with Bulldog, the match with Owen and Feb the Royal Rumble, like Shawn Michaels in 96. It's untouchable. Yeah, very much so. Look, and if, um, if, if, if I think we I have an idea, and I think based on what we've seen this year, we should have like an award every year. The Lex Luger, Sid, Sid. unquestionably <laughs> over award because we didn't see it coming and we didn't realize it. So we're going to have to watch 97 and just see who shockingly was over that we didn't remember for a year I'm talking
1: like and in case you haven't said go back and watch anything go back and watch Starcade 96 Lex Luger when he wins the it's almost all it's missing is confetti raining from the <laughs> ceiling that's how over he is we've definitely got to see who it is it'll probably be someone like Savio Vega maybe but
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we just don't remember but we'll see <laughs> as we head into 97 I can't wait It's going to be fantastic, but look, you can
1: check out all of the archives of uh, Grey Wolf Wrestling uh, on the Grey Wolf Wrestling uh, f- Facebook feed. There's also some cool stuff coming out. Uh, if you're an NBL fan, keep you an eye out in a Grey Wolf hoops. During the footy season, Grey Wolf footy will be coming out. There's some cool interviews that are done by Nettie as well, uh, even on our sister site, The Underground. But if you want to catch up, greywolfentertainment.net. You can find all the shows there. Just click the Grey Wolf Wrestling tab under shows. If you'd like to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, just look up Grey Wolf ENT. But... It is going to be fantastic. We're going to kick off 1997, the year where everything starts bubbling for the WWF. I cannot wait. Same with WCW. It's peak Monday Night Wars, a full year. of it. We can't wait for that one. If you want to follow Simon, you can do so on Twitter, at Simon Tackler. You could follow me, at Doc Nims, but uh, on Twitter. And Simon, we've got an absolute treat coming up for us. I know you're not looking forward to NWO sold out, but hey, it's going to be fun. It's going to be something. (laughs) But yeah, keep your eyes out there. Plus the Royal Rumble watch along, that'll be coming pretty soon. Uh, We'll catch you next time here on another big edition of Reliving the War.
0: This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.